0: Love
1: Talk Radio Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century aromatic internal process of forgiveness.
2: Welcome to MindShifters Radio, I'm Tim Hayes, I'm your host for the first hour, and today is Thursday, February 22nd, 2024. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And If you choose to do that before you're done typing the word Forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. From that same page on the website at whyagain.org, you can also download a whole host of audio files of shows just like this one where people have been stepped through the worksheet process And if you choose to view those, even multiple times, they can serve as a powerful tutorial for you to help you get maximum benefit from the use of these tools in the shortest time possible. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials, if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. If you don't want to call or don't have access to calling, you can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. Or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at yagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. And if we get a comment or question or testimonial from you, we'll address it on the Internet show. And then, as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so you can listen back to the archives for the feedback or the input. And... We appreciate whenever anybody does that because it just makes it that much easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service, and that's just a whole heck of a lot easier to do when we get feedback from people about how these things are landing for them, what's working, what has the most benefit, etc. I would like to uh, put it in the recording again that tomorrow morning... On the 23rd, when we do our show, and I say morning because it's morning here in uh, Central Time Zone, USA, we will have two guests, Lori Morse and Dr. David Gruder, and we welcome you to join us for that. They are the hosts of, um, among other things, they are the hosts of the podcast titled T.O.T., The One Thing. And The One Thing is their way of talking about God, light, love, the one consciousness, all that is. It goes by many, many names. And they're, they're actively engaged in helping people become aware of that. This is basically uh, what Dr. Michael Rice would call his primary purpose, that he believes the primary purpose for every human being is the same, and that is to develop and then strengthen a viable conscious spiritual body. And that's, as I take it, what David Grutter and uh, Laurie Morse are attempting to do with their T.O.T., The One Thing podcast to help people wake up to the fact that there is this more uh, uh, pervasive level of intelligence. There is a, a source of wisdom and compassion that all of us can get access to. And so they have a podcast talking about that and talking about various aspects of different philosophies and religions that have been very, very similar over the years. Dr. Gruder calls it perennial wisdom. Regardless of which philosophy or religion you ascribe to, most of them share some very solid, consistent observations about our true nature and about our experience as humans and the phrase for that is perennial wisdom and the gnostics had it and the pagans had it and lots of people had it you know as a body of knowledge from prior to ancient egypt it was spoken about through egypt and the times after that and it comes and goes as a a body of knowledge and it kind of has its times of being in favor with the general population and times where it's not so much well known or it goes through times where people are actively working to suppress it so that they can control others. But the essence of the message is love and the power of creation and you know, focusing on what you have control over and, in short, everything we talk about here in the Mind Shifters radio program and the way of mastery. So, again, our call-in number now that we're back on Blog Talk is 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1 on your phone, we can have a conversation. And that would be greatly appreciated if you let us know how things are um, panning out for you. If you have comments or questions about the worksheet process or about the way of mastery and or about how or why we're doing what we're doing at any level, those comments and questions will be welcome. And... We're holding the energy of good technology functioning so that tomorrow we'll be able to have our guests on the Blog Talk Radio platform. And um, it'll eventually get uploaded to Podbean as a backup, but it is not currently our practice to simulcast on both Um, Jeannie is working on doing that for the second hour, but that is not something we have mastered here for the first hour. So what's on your mind? How can we support you? We have, um, being that it is a Thursday, there will be a support group tonight. All the information you would need to join us or have anybody else that you to share that information with, have them join us, is available on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website. And we had a brand new attendee at a support group on Tuesday, somebody who'd never been to one of our support groups before. So there's you never know who's going to show up. And we will gladly welcome anybody who'd like to participate. from 6.30 to 9.00 p.m. Central Time. And again, all the information you might need to join us is available on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website. So, since nobody has a hand up and there's nobody in the chat room, I will come back to the Way of Mastery. And where we left off the last time was reading from The Way of Transformation... It's the first lesson in the book, The Way of Transformation, or if you're reading from the big blue book, it's Lesson 13. And the segment that I had been reading from was titled, Bringing Awareness to the Limiting Definitions of Yourself. And so the invitation with this work, especially this segment, is to really question what you value what am I defending what am I continuing to do on a daily basis that no longer fulfills me how might I use my time and my thought my mind energy differently how can I recognize that my thoughts about myself are not myself and they are severely limiting and that I am as the title of this lesson proclaims, you are unlimited spirit. How can I wake up to that? How can I discover the limiting beliefs that I hold on to about myself? And they just finish talking about the concept of deciding that you are An unlimited spirit and you're perfectly free to show up in front of anybody and just extend the love of the Christ mind to them in the last segment we're reading said it is very very important to bring awareness to the definitions you have given yourself and you keep insisting upon defining you every day. Because as you do it day after day, if you believe these thoughts day after day, it's like dropping the same pebble into the same stream or the same pool and creating the same ripple effects. And when you do that, nothing is transformed. Well, the title of this book is The Way of Transformation, right? This second of three books that make up the way of mastery. The second book is titled Way of Transformation. Well, if I keep doing what I've always done, if I keep believing the same thoughts about myself, nothing gets transformed. And the text then goes on and says, it also brings up some fear, does it not? And your egoic mind will ask, quote, well, what would happen if I let go of the definitions that I'm familiar with? Close quotes. And the answer is given. Here's, here's what's going to happen. Nothing will happen. Because in reality, those definitions have never truly limited your unlimited, capital S, self from going on, creating, and experiencing throughout all dimensions. The only change that could be said to occur is that the tiny little ray of your beingness that is currently dancing through the experience of being a mind-body in space and time, that little thing will begin to throw open the doors and actually access cosmic awareness. There's nothing to fear in letting go of the dream of separation, the illusion of smallness, the illusion of being evil or damaged or broken. There's nothing to lose. In giving up limiting thoughts there is only gain there is only the extension of creation there is only expanding awareness that awaits us when we see through the illusion of our false beliefs about self The text goes on and says, if you want the experience of walking on this planet as an enlightened master, well, now, I would imagine that most everybody listening to a podcast like this, or just about anybody who's drawn to the way of mastery, or Course in Miracles, or Guy Finley's work, or Diedrich Wolzak's work, just about everybody wants that, the experience of being an enlightened master. If you want that, here's what you have to do first. You have to come to understand the foundation upon which the way of transformation is based. Second, you have to bring awareness to the definitions of yourself that have become unconscious for you. And then you have to deliberately redefine yourself as you enter into the field of your experiences. Here is the nub Here's the rub. Here's the contentious point. No one can make the decision for you. I, Yeshua, have never enlightened anyone. I have never, even so much as, lifted them an inch. I am merely one who has chosen to demonstrate unlimitedness for myself. And part of that experience was taking on the crucifixion just so that I could learn how to overcome death. That was my choice, my pathway, my calling forth of experience. I can tell you that it is so much grander to be in the body while being completely aware of your cosmic self. So, if you want the experience of walking on this plane as an enlightened master, you must understand the foundation of the way of transformation, which is you are unlimited spirit. The only thing that controls, contains, or constrains you in any way is your beliefs about yourself. And secondly, you must bring awareness to those definitions, those limiting beliefs about yourself that have become unconscious for you. Once you're aware of them, you must deliberately redefine them, which is why they offer so many times statements I'm going to tap into what's going on around the edges of my awareness. I will feel the thoughts of anyone I choose to direct attention to. I will direct love to them. I will choose to be the capital T truth of who I am. Statements like, I am fully committed to transforming my awareness from one who has been sleeping and perceiving myself as limited to time and space I am going to wake up. I am going to remember that I and my Father are one. I am going to understand that nothing sources my experience other than the choices I have made. I'm going to expand my awareness by reading a statement like, I am not what I have perceived myself to be. Instead, I am unlimited, spirit and nothing is unavailable to me. Therefore, in this moment I choose to open access to other dimensions of experience so that I might call this moment to me in a different way. If you want to have an experience of walking this plane as an enlightened master, you must deliberately redefine yourself along the lines that are being suggested here. You must uncover the limiting definitions that you're defending of yourself as only being a male or a female, a man or a woman from this part of the planet with this religion, with this political belief, this family history, with this woundedness from childhood, you must redefine yourself as infinite, unlimited spirit. But it's a two-step process. You've got to identify those automatic, what Guy Finley would call the mechanical level of mind that just keeps churning within us that others would call the heart, others would call the unconscious, others would call the veil, that hide from us ready perception of the truth, the capital T Truth of our lives. So the text was just saying, I can tell you that it is so much more grand to be in the body while being completely aware of your cosmic self. And in the next sentence it says, in the same moment, I must say to you, it is perfectly okay for you to perceive yourself as a limited ray of consciousness. Yes, there are certain results that will follow. And still, you're completely free to continue in that field of experience for as long as you wish. I just flashed on something that Susan Bingham had talked about earlier when she was... We were talking about doing the the writing that is sometimes called two-way prayer and sometimes called letting un, uh, uh, unlimited love write you a letter. And Susan Bingham mentioned that she had some fear about doing that because she's afraid God's going to tell her you have to go to Botswana or the Arctic Circle or, you know, you got to go rescue kittens in China or whatever. And she wouldn't want to do that. And this... This book keeps telling us over and over and over again, we're free to choose, absolutely free to choose, and that it's much more highly preferable, joyful, fun, playful experience to recognize your cosmic self while you're still in the body. And yet... It's perfectly okay if you want to spend your time in the body thinking you're small and limited and that you have to go to work and that you have to have a certain amount of money or that you have to have a certain you know, fitness level in your body and you have to have a certain political set of beliefs, etc. It's perfectly okay. You have unlimited freedom to create your experience as you wish for as long as you wish. Now, for those of us who stand back and observe life, this is blatantly obvious. We just don't think about it that way and we don't talk about it that way. But the fact of the matter is there are people all over the world that we run into, some of whom are pouring their mind energy and their life energy into building a business, and some of whom are pouring their energy into getting more of an education, and some of whom are pouring their mind energy into helping others and others who are pouring their mind energy into just accumulating as much wealth and possessions as they can, where everybody's out there doing their own thing. And lessons like this tell us you're perfectly free. And since there are people who have gone through this, there are souls, there are levels of consciousness that have been through it, they can tell you it's there's another side available. There's another range of experience available if you wake up to the fact that you are not just the body and that your essence, your soul, your consciousness, your spirit, your whatever you want to call it, is not limited to the body. And the way of mastery here in the second book says never at any time are you limited in any moment. You can say, I'm going to open myself to dimension upon dimension of experience and connect with people wherever they are, physical, plane or not, and extend love to them. So the text goes on and says, I imagine, or you could imagine, someone who goes to swim in the waters of a pool which has certain parameters. Each end might be 40 of your feet in length, The sides may be 200 feet in length. It doesn't matter. There's a certain volume of water in that pool, and that is the field in which they swim. That field of water is like the field of your consciousness. It is shaped by the boundaries that you choose to draw. That very same being could say, well, I'm much too grand to swim in a pool. I believe I'll put the little body on a plane and fly to the grand ocean to swim in the midst of the ocean, unbounded by a box. The experience of that swimming is much different. And your consciousness is exactly like that. All that you experience From the moment you awaken in the morning until the moment you awaken in the morning, again, parentheses, because there is no downtime, close parentheses, everything you see, everything you experience is the direct result of where and how you have drawn the lines on the blank canvas of consciousness. And you are free at any time to draw differently. So, never again say that you've discovered something. Rather, learn to say, I am experiencing the effects of certain lines I have drawn in the infinite field of my being, and they are perfectly okay. That's like taking a walk in the rain. Learn to enjoy it from the place of unlimitedness within you as a Christ would walk upon this earth and say, quote, I choose to feel the rain upon the skin of this body. I feel the shiver of the flesh against the cold. What a delight this is. I am unlimited forever. This moment does not define me. It does not imprison me. I am free. I am free. Tomorrow, I might move to some warmer climate where the sun shines and there are no clouds of rain. If so, I will enjoy the rays of the sunlight upon the skin and the sweat of the brow. And I will notice what it feels like as it tickles across the skin. Not my skin, but the skin. And when I meet a friend, I will remind myself that our fields of mind are meeting in many dimensions. What will I choose to bring to this moment? Will I see myself as limited to the boundaries of the skin of the body? Will I only tell them of my laments? Things like, oh boy, my car had a flat tire And then my mother called and she's unhappy because I forgot her birthday and uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Or am I going to meet them as the unlimited cosmic being that I am? Will I create the space in which I get to enjoy beaming love to them? Will I enjoy seeing what is occurring just around the edges of the third dimensional experience Which, of course, it does go on. For example, hello, Fred. Nice to see you. But around the corners of my perception, I notice, oh, Fred, you had an argument with your wife. Let me send you some love about that. Without ever opening my mouth, here's some love for you. You know the wisdom. You know the answer. Oh, a little cancer is beginning to form in the colon. I think I'll send light to it. And then say out loud something like, So, Fred, how's the wife? How are your children? And listen attentively and then say, Oh, very good, while constantly beaming light into the cancer. The text goes on which experience do you think you would prefer the contracted awareness within two small squiggles on an infinite canvas of radiant light or perhaps the radiant light itself operating through these very temporary and freely chosen squiggles called the mind-body the way of transformation begins with you deciding what you are most committed to. The way of transformation requires bringing awareness to every set of definitions you have adopted about the self and placed as an overlay upon your true self. It culminates in the transparency of the body-mind self, this little ray of light that you think you are, so that even while that continues for a little while, it is permeated by an awareness of your cosmic being. And that becomes your identity. You then are Christ, playing in the world, unlimited, unfettered, unvictimized by anything. Whatever arises, arises and passes away as it passes away. And arising and passing away are exactly the same to you. Love comes and it is received. Love seems to be taken and you think, so what? You bless the being that withdraws awareness from you and you simply open to whomever comes into your consciousness. For you decide how you will be in relationship in each moment. And you never discover something out there that is right. You simply create the structure of your experience. Whenever another person says to you, quote, well, I like to eat meat. I love it raw and bloody upon my plate, close quotes. And you've been eating nothing but fruits and vegetables. There is no reason to say anything at all. Just smile and decide that you can beam them love. Not because they're doing something wrong, and if you love them, they might change. You beam them love because their decision doesn't mean anything. It's just a description of how they are structuring their experience. If you identify yourself as a, quote, pure vegetarian, close quotes, You will not be able to prevent yourself from judging your brother or sister. And where judgment abides, you have created separation. And for a moment, you lose awareness of the presence of love. Can you become selfish enough to learn to truly recognize that you are not influenced by anyone else's choices And if their choices do not, that their choices do not say anything about your own. You are free to embrace your experience as being totally, completely self-created, capital S self-created, out of perfect innocence and perfect playfulness. You have the free use of time. To generate experience what will you do with that time what have you been doing with that time the beginning of this lesson calls us to get very clear about the definitions the limiting definitions we have been holding for ourselves The title of this section I was just reading from is Bringing Awareness to the Limiting Definitions of Yourself. And it says, if you would walk this planet as an enlightened master, the first step is to understand the foundation that the way of transformation is based upon, which is the way of the heart, which is the understanding this is not an intellectual exercise. This is a series of new experiences of life that you can usher yourself into when you put the conscious logical mind on the shelf for a while and you learn to lead with your loving, questioning, playful heart, asking to be taught by love in each moment how to be a blessing to yourself and others, how to learn more about the infinite expansion of consciousness in each moment. That's the foundation that the way of transformation is based upon. And then the second step is to bring awareness to the definitions of yourself that have been so well conditioned into you and brainwashed into you and practiced by you that they become unconscious, that they operate like an autopilot, like what Guy Finley calls the mechanical level of mind what Way of Mastery calls the intellect, which has been shoved full of trivialities like garbage in a garbage can, like the nine-bit mind that Michael Rice refers to and the non-being mind Michael Rice refers to. And once you become aware of the patterns, once you use tools like the Reality Management Worksheet and the Mind Shifter Targeted Journaling Tool, And the breath work to stir up and bring to the surface, to the conscious level of awareness, what you've been holding as limiting definitions for yourself, then deliberately redefine your true self as you enter into the field of your experiences and thereby create very, very different experiences for yourself. I and my Father are one. I am unlimited spirit. I have the capacity to extend love in every situation. I am not ever a victim of the world I see. I am unlimited consciousness. I can choose to sit in a chair for five minutes a day as the Christ mind. I can ask to be shown what would it be like to look at this situation as a Christ. And I can let life, love, creation, consciousness itself teach me. So the last segment of this lesson, lesson 13, is titled Creating a Transformation Journal. And the text reads, much has been given to you in this lesson. We would highly suggest for those committed to transformation that they go back and be very clear about what is being shared. Begin to create your own personal transformation journal and let it be used for no other purpose. Take the journal and find a picture that represents for you the highest, the deepest, the most passionate, the most beautiful expression of love that you can imagine. Do not compare this image to anybody else's. Make it your own and put it on the front of your journal. Buy a pen that will be used for no other reason than this. Find a place to place this journal so that nothing else occupies that space. Whether it is on your altar or in a drawer by your bed, find a place, deliberately, find that out of the field of your Christedness and say, ah, this is the place. And then, each time you begin a lesson... Go through it carefully and write down the key points that are being shared. Make the decision about what they will mean for you and decide what steps you will take to incorporate them into your lived daily experience, even if that means they are not going to be incorporated at all. Take 100% responsibility for the decision And write it down in your journal. For example, I don't think I'm going to do that. I own it. I decide it freely. That's the way it is. As you do this, by the time these lessons end, you will be surprised at what you have written in your journal. As you go through it lesson by lesson, also keep track of some of the things that you experience as you play with the practices that we give you. How are things changing? What experiences are you beginning to have as you explore the space just beyond the corners of your normal awareness? When you do the exercise we suggested at the beginning of this lesson, what images came? What thoughts did you notice? What colors did you see? write them down, jot them down, have fun with it. For indeed, in each lesson, we will be giving you very specific, though what may seem as very simple, exercises. But they are designed to give you access to what is already occurring at all times in a way that can foster and deepen your deliberate awareness of what is occurring all the time in your cosmic and unlimited self. The only transformation you can experience in space and time is the reaching down from the depth of the ocean into one tiny temporary wave and readjusting the little foam drops on the tip of the wave that you call the body-mind of the self. Doing that so that it begins to be a transparent conduit for an awareness of the ocean itself. That is the game of awakening. It is actually the most delightful use of time you will ever find. If you choose to do that, trust me, it will carry you beyond this world. Not from denial but simply because you have outgrown it. There are dimensions of experience awaiting you that are so much grander than the dimension of the body-mind. But the way that you get to them is by bringing full awareness to what you are choosing to experience in each and every moment. For example, experiencing the soap on the skin in the morning shower. Wow, how amazing or a raindrop on the cheek, the shiver against the cold, the sound of a cat meowing, or the thoughts of a dog across the street. These things you call to yourself in this dimension. Do you want to taste it all? Do you want to wrap yourself around it all? Do you not want to remember that magic is around you? Out of that magic, the moment you are experiencing is being created from within your holy, capital S, self. It has never been, and it will never be again. Mystery of all mysteries, dance of creation, reality of love. There is no higher state in the mind-body than to live as one who has been blown away and lives in that state perpetually, then you are free and the world has no hold upon you. This lesson's message is a beginning for anyone who chooses to wrap his or her unlimited hands around it. But alas, we cannot shape the use of it for you. And if you do not like where you are, look no further than yourself. We await you. We will reach out for you in a million different ways across space and time into the space between your thoughts. Not just through the mechanism of this course, but every time there is a little space open in your consciousness, we will indeed come and whisper, quote, Beloved friend, Come and play at a vaster level. It is all within you. Come and play. Come and play with creation's children. You are free in this moment. You are as free as you will ever be right now. Close quotes. How then will you use time? What will you construct out of your infinite field of awareness? What world would you look upon? What thoughts will you think? What feelings will you evoke within the cells? Where will you direct the body to be placed on a daily basis? How will you observe or how will you enter into a relationship with each moment? whether touching a dial or touching a body, it really makes no difference. What will you bring to that experience? Is it Christ touching the shoulder of another or just some limited needy self? Who will you say that you are in this world? Please remember... What you decree is instantly. There's no way out of this responsibility. Stop fighting it and birth Christ, where once you thought something less than that has dwelt. Beloved friends, peace be unto you always, and always I am with you. I come to you not alone, but with many who have delighted in creating a resonance with me and I with them, for no other reason than that that power expands exponentially when minds join in love from a foundation of wholeness, not neediness. I do not need the one you call my mother. She does not need me. But oh, how we delight in creating together. We create that which extends, the good, the holy, and the beautiful, without end. Will you come and play with us? Peace, then, be with you always. And as always, Amen. So that is Lesson 13. And again, just like in Lesson 12... It recommends that we go back and go back and go back and start a journal and make notes and be careful because there's so much value woven into these words and practices that we can't begin to comprehend until after we have chosen to shift our experience, to be different in the moment. I was thinking as I was reading that last bit how Michael Rice talks about regulatory speech and words and the need for vigilance. And and some people take it to, um, to extreme levels and some people just play with it a little bit around the edges and some people just ignore it altogether. But one of those key phrases that comes across from Greg Braden's work and um, Bruce Lipton's work and so many people from the teachings of um, the Law of Attraction and the movie The Secret and, um, is watching the phrase, I am, And watching what you say after you say I am because as this work is talking to us about our thoughts are have a creative power to them and so if I say I'm sick and tired if I say I'm sorry if I say I'm angry I'm creating in that moment for myself at at a level which builds up over time, and when I first got introduced to this work, it was much more common you know over thirteen years ago now, when we started this internet show, it was much more common for people to call the show and start to talk, and Michael cut them off in their first sentence or two, and he would try to explain that we're we're teaching. And we're teaching about the tool of regulatory speech and we're trying to get people to question their statements and be more conscious of the way they're creating their life experience. And it was very common for people to get irritated and say, well, can't you just let me talk? Can't you just let me finish? And then the next jump that people would make is They would try to think about everything they said before they said it, if they were talking on the Internet show or in one of the support groups, to try and make sure their speech was just perfect. And therefore, to my way of thinking, they were losing one of the powerful aspects of regulatory speech, which is the revelatory nature of it, how my speech will reveal to me the hidden parts of my consciousness. So, for instance, if I keep saying, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm programming myself to believe I am a sorry being, that there's problems with me. If somebody points that out to me and I say, oh, I'm not going to say that anymore, and I have a thought Oh, I'm sorry, but I catch it before I say it, and I say something else. And I pretend I didn't have that thought. I'm sorry. Or, oh, I'm an idiot. Or um, any negative derogatory thought about myself. If I catch it before I say it and try to pretend it didn't happen, so I don't say it out loud in front of other people, I miss the opportunity to see what's been revealed. In that moment, if I have the thought, oh, I'm such an idiot, there's an opportunity for me to tap into what is the part of my mind that still believes I'm an idiot and do some worksheets or EFT tapping or a mind shifter on that. So when I speak and think, it will reveal to me aspects of my mind that I may be working consciously to hide from myself. One of the examples I use so often is we talk in this work about taking 100% responsibility for what you experience and all of your emotions, et cetera, and teaching people that, you know, the bottom line observation number four says, I can only control and be responsible for my own emotions and reactions. I can't control and be responsible for the emotions and reactions of anybody else, no matter how hard I try. And I say that to people usually in a first session. I'm relaying the first four observations to them and most of the time they either say yep absolutely i believe that oh i've been living my life that way etc and then i say oh good so do you realize that you just agreed to the fact that no one's ever made you angry no one's ever made you feel sad hurt scared or offended you in any way and sometimes i get quite a an aggressive response saying no that's not true i didn't agree to that this person really makes me angry so we teach this to people. I personally teach this to people day in and day out. I was teaching this kind of thing to people even before I met Dr. Michael Rice. I've been teaching it even more in a more focused, intensive way since I met him, which is over 20 years now. And I occasionally have the thought, oh, that guy's really making me angry. Now, if I try to pretend I didn't have that thought, I lose the revelation. That thought reveals to me that there's still a part of my mind that believes people and things outside of me can create and maintain my emotions and that I'm a victim. If I acknowledge that statement, yes, one good thing to do then is restate it more accurately. Oh, What's a better way to say that? Instead of this person's really making me angry, I could say more accurately, wow, I generate a lot of irritation from the interpretation I place on this my interaction with this person. And based on what that person said, I'm making it mean something that you know makes it easy for me to rationalize anger. That's one thing I can do, and now I'm programming my mind more accurately. But I also don't want to lose the fact that my mind was saying, hey, that person is making me angry. That means some part of my mind still has the conditioning of my culture and my family. And I can go in there and use the tools of the reality management worksheet, the EFT tapping, the breathwork, the mind shifter targeted journaling tool. I can get access to that part of my mind that's holding that false wounded belief and I can see the truth of it at a deeper level and dismantle its impact on me. And I want to be able to do that. I want to I want to do that with lightheartedness. I want to do that with childlike innocence and playfulness. I happened to have a patient in my office yesterday who came in with every knuckle bloodied. And I mean The first level of knuckle and the second level of knuckle. Eight different bloody spots. And he had a rage event a few days ago and punched a wall. So hard, fortunately for him it was a wall that had some give in it. It wasn't a brick wall, but so hard that it put wounds on his knuckles. And as he was talking about it, he was really getting down on himself and beating himself up. And I said, look, here's one of the first things you can do to improve your situation. The next time you have anger welling up in you like that, hopefully before you punch, but even if you punch another wall, immediately just look at it and laugh. It's no big deal. It's already in the past. You won't improve your situation by beating yourself up with negative thoughts about how you failed, how you didn't control your anger, how you didn't choose for love. So laugh about it and then step into the use of the tools. When I catch myself saying something, one of those old habits you know, I drop something and I go, oh, I'm such an idiot. If I have that thought, I, I pick up a tool to go look at where is the space in my mind that still believes there's something wrong with me related to dropping something or being careless or whatever. And I'll do the worksheet and or the EFT tapping and or the targeted journaling, find the roots in me and shed the light of love on it. And therefore, I don't keep repeating. I don't keep pouring mind energy into the negativity. I don't ignore what the regulatory speech has revealed to me. So that's our time for today. Thank you all for being here. Please remember that tomorrow we'll having two guests, Dr. David Grutter and his wife, Lori Morse. Their podcast is The One Thing, T-O-T, I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love and everything else is false. And I will turn on the microphone for and welcome Jeannie Rice.
1: Thank you, Dr. Tim. Appreciate it.
2: You're very welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show.
1: Thanks. So welcome everybody to the second hour of Mind Shifters Radio. And today is Thursday, February the twenty second. 2024. And our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1. That puts you into queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. Just a moment to dial in. And I'm turning Podbeam on as well because we were recording this um, kind of dual. And it's yesterday we had uh, probably six or seven new people listening in Podbean, so we're excited that that is working uh, for some of you out there, um, especially if you're in another country, you don't have to use cell minutes, you just use the app on your phone. And so we welcome you to the show, and Michael has joined us, so I'm going to say, welcome Michael. <laughs>
3: well, thank you, dear heart, and welcome everybody. Delighted that we're together once again as we work toward understanding and developing this Aramaic mindset. And we had a question that came in. And uh, so I want to I, I share the question and then give some thoughts on it. And again, the whole objective at this stage and what we're doing, actually for everything we've always done, but it's become more pointed with this series that we're doing on the Enlightenment book is we want to support people in having the brain cells to have a mindset that would be the mindset that Yeshua was speaking about when he spoke in particular, we'll talk about that in a few minutes in the Beatitudes, but how to get the mind into the proper place, the rules, the guardrails to keep it on track when it can be so so easily misled. And so the question uh, is, is actually a political question, and I want to stay away from politics, but it it also addresses, or, or at least to me, to get to the Aramaic mindset, it, it addresses how to properly stay in tune with who we are as human beings. And so the, uh, the uh, question is addressed to brain shifters, which is cool. If we were to speculate that the final national election candidates in November were two people that they're talking about without getting into names, which of the two, in your view, is more leaning toward the way of love? Well, my first offering on that would be, Yeshua says, the power of life and death is in your words. The Aramaic Yeshua says, that the frequencies of vibrations you set up with your voice will determine your physiology, and what happens in the world around you. So I think it's a pretty simple, without getting into personalities and all of that, it's pretty simple to look at. You know, look at the mass of words that each candidate you're thinking about speaks, which one is speaking words that reflect the condition of love or as close to a condition of love as possible, and which one is reflecting words that are based in hostility or fear. You don't need to know more than that. You know, the whole political game. You don't you don't need to know more than that. I can remember one particular candidate that's been around for a while now and I can remember the day that he announced his candidacy and I didn't I had never heard of him before, I didn't know who he was. And the day he announced his candidacy I posted on my Facebook page who would vote for this? The language was so I mean just the words. You I didn't know anything about his policies or anything about anything. You just have to look at the words. And so so that would be my take is just look at the, the the basis of their speech and you know what's going on in brain cells. And then if the question or the, the next question is, if neither, then what's your take on not voting? Well, actually, that takes us into uh, a really interesting passage in the Aramaic Beatitudes. And so I'd like to open a little space around the idea of the Beatitudes. And in Aramaic, the the Beatitudes are not as they are presented to us, at least as I understood it, in the Greek translation as, it's a nice philosophy to live by. The Aramaic Beatitudes are actually a set of instructions. Just like, you know, we talked about what people call the Lord's Prayer isn't a prayer, it's an instruction set. So what's the instruction set aiming for? What's What are the Beatitudes instructing you to do? Well, the first word in each of the Beatitudes, the Greeks tell us, is blessed are they. And in Aramaic, the word is, it's a three-part word, it's tuvehun. It takes a whole paragraph to decode the word tuvehun from the Aramaic. But this word that comes before each of the Beatitudes to what the instruction is about. So Tuvehun, in Aramaic, best translation I can come up with, is the creator implanted in your mind neural structures which will guide you when they are active. Yes, they understood neural structures back then. If they are inactive, you who follow these instructions will come into conscious possession of and be able to use this latent guidance system designed to make available thoughts and actions that will increase your happiness and well-being. So the Beatitudes are a set of instructions for how to activate the neural structure that's indicated in the word tuvehun. So there's an underlying set of brain cells that come as part of the package for us as human beings, and when that's active then what this word tuvehun says is that mindset or neural structure in you designed to make available thoughts and actions that will increase your happiness and well-being, that that will be what's active in you. It speaks of in the the word tuvehun, it says that guidance system is latent. That is, it's unconscious. It's hidden. It's buried. And each of the Beatitudes goes through several things, and as as the uh, the work with the Enlightenment book unfolds, we'll we'll cover more of this. But I want to go to the number number eight. Pardon me, number seven. And this um, Greek the Greek historical interpretation of these words and believe me what you hear from the Greek is not a translation in any way shape or form it's an interpretation but basically what it says according to the Greeks is blessed are the peacemakers they shall be called the children of God let's hear what it says in Aramaic you who and then the Aramaic word is abday the word abday speaks of working effectively to produce a result. So that's the first component of the word abdeh. The second component is that this will be done through service. So you who, through service, work effectively to produce. And then the Aramaic word is shlama. Abdeh shlama. You who, through service, work effectively to produce the peace and understanding under in accord with the Creator's will, you shall be called the children or the offspring of the Creator. So, for me, that Beatitude directly relates, Audrey, to your question. Should I not vote? Or what's my take on not voting? So, you've asked the question about which candidate is going to bring about results in harmony with the highest truth, I would say, or you use the words, the way of love. And my offering would be, if your perception is neither of them does, then under the Aramaic rules for governing the mind, it becomes your job to, through service, worked effectively to produce that space of love. So I don't think not voting is an option. You'll get what you deserve if you don't participate in the game. And my offering would be, perhaps this would be, if you decide it's an either, which your note perhaps implies, I'm not sure, but if it implies that neither, then perhaps it's time to Get out and through service, work effectively to produce the peace and understanding, uttered in accord with the Creator or Love's will. So that would be my offering in that regard. As look at the language, and just look at the mass of the language. You don't. You don't even have to listen to anything other than the language. Listen to the mass of the language, and you know which one's going to produce a result that's in harmony with love, or at least the closest result. And then if you decide that neither is worthy, my offering would be time to go to work. So that would be my input on the, uh, the question about what should we do about voting. And that's one of the Beatitudes in the whole series of the, the Aramaic Beatitudes. And, Ms. Jeannie, I wonder if that arouses any thoughts or questions for anybody. If you're out there in listener land, Mm -hmm. our call-in number, if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you, is 563-999-3581, 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you'll be listening to the show. And if you have a question, push 1, that raises your hand. And we'll be having a conversation. So if you're out there in listener land, push one. Let's talk about it. Did that answer make sense? Yes, Miss Jeannie.
1: We have a hand up. And I believe it's Miss Awesome, 6.0. You're on the air. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well,
0: Michael. Welcome, youngin'. That was a fantastic response. Excellent. And I love that you hacked it right into the, the attitudes. Because I haven't had this. <clears throat> the stuffing or whatever it takes, the discipline, the focus to take the time to live with the Beatitudes, uh, to understand them, but having them applied in a situation like this, terrific. It was terrific. Great answer. Very strange. knowing what you post. (laughs) What? (laughs) What's that? That's (laughs) my service. What I post is
3: my service.
0: Okay, I was talking and you were talking, so I'll be quiet. And you say what you were going to say. I missed it.
3: For me, this is one of the most uh, important parts of the Beatitudes. I mean, there's some powerful stuff in the rest of them. But this one that says, you're required to do service. Uh, And to me, it's like, that's the rent we pay for getting to be on earth and have a a human form to express through as opposed Mm -hmm. to going out and satisfying all of our wishes. That's the rent we need to be paying, is that service. And make sure that it's in harmony with bringing forward the active presence of love of human life.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And the fact that that would lead to a wise and loving answer, when obviously at this point the asker of the question Hasn't come to that, so that's something you can do when you're stuck, and it's wonderful that that will unstuck, unstick us.
3: Yeah, when you start no. realizing there's work to be done, not mm-hmm. only internally but externally. This, this, to me, this particular beatitude guides us that there's some external work to be done too. Better get off our
0: desks yeah <clears throat> well, I was making a wise crack about some of your posts on Facebook <laughs> are a little more uh what's the word? Uh, visceral, or something. But this, for the radio show and your purposes here are is an excellent answer, and that isn't the reason I pressed one. I pressed one right at the beginning just to say, and maybe you know this that Podbean is accessible on the computer. I didn't know that, yes. but a lot of people have been having phone trouble, connectivity connectivity trouble, and that may wipe out computers too. But if it's just, you know, you're using, say, Verizon on your iPhone and you have a different connection to the computer, we can access it on the computer.
3: <clears throat> right.
0: Yeah, yes. I didn't know that,
3: so... Yeah, cool. Well, and, and to address more of your earlier statement, yes, many of my posts on face, Facebook are very purposely visceral. And they're mm-hmm. visceral because those who are carrying out instructions based in insanity, in rage, in harm, in viciousness, mm-hmm. are visceral. And mm-hmm. I happen to have three granddaughters that are at very tender yeah. ages. And mm-hmm. when I look at what's being done to women under mm-hmm. this political system at this point, I choose to be visceral with those who only understand visceral and attempting to get their attention to look and say, is it time to really pay attention to what you're doing? Because, mm-hmm. you know, once once one's in blockage of the truth, the most hellacious rage can seem to be the loving thing to do to someone who lives in repressed hostility and fear
0: mm-hmm. and
3: so I'm, I'm hoping that that wake up call will, will resonate that visceral part in people and give them an alternative thought
0: On, and I understand that and I, I want to ask a question about that, we had our support group uh, yesterday and that topic, that political topic Came up, And one person said, you know, even that person is calling for love and help. And another person said, maybe so, but that isn't where we need to focus now. Because I don't think that person at this point in this body, on this planet, is receptive to a loving approach. But everyone who's listening to that person may be. And we've got to really be open, listening, and creative and loving toward those people to draw them out of the fear that has put them in this place where they're going to follow this person. And I thought that was an an interesting, great answer. But I also wondered if the person who seems to be the head of all this really is beyond reach of love now, of course, nobody could say that. I both, don't believe
3: so. No, not at all.
0: You don't think so? Okay.
3: <clears throat> Someone who's yeah. using the kind of language that's, that's being thrown around, again, not naming any names, but the kind of language that's being thrown around in our culture mm-hmm. is, to me, in such deep pain, yeah. such horrendous pain. And, and yes, all painful screeds are a call for love but Mm -hmm. I think that first yeah it's kind of like that old thing the donkey you know you got to get their attention and that's to me where the visceral posts come in of confronting confronting this look at this pay attention to what you're doing and Mm -hmm. you know I mean before I post anything of a visceral nature about any of what's going on in the culture. I tap into, and along with it, I'm holding a space and sending the direct active presence of love as deeply as I can, and working on and forgiving anything else that's moving in me so that I can post-accountability, post-the truth about what's being done, and mm-hmm. still be connected to the place of love when, when a lot of what's being done is just filled with rage and hatred and vengeance and, and just plain good old-fashioned fraud.
0: Oops, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's true. And alarmingly, I, I've been listening to certain feeds on the other side, mm-hmm. partly because I want to hear that, And knowing full well that the other side is also reacting in kind, not the kind of conscious visceral response you have, but actually playing the same game of being one particular podcaster that I'm not going to watch anymore. Very short clips of the latest news. You can find them all over on YouTube. One young man makes fun of the other side, the person leaving the other side, bodily functions. Sarcasm. And sarcasm uh, also just dragging out physical weaknesses on the other part, bodily functions, malfunctioning, making fun of that. And I think that only makes the problem worse. And I've been trying to figure out how I could say, hey, what are we doing? Let's stop this kind of thing. I wish they all were listening to your show. I mean, I think I do know what to say. I just sometimes they have a slot for comments and I could say something. Put it in there. It. Yeah. yeah. Right.
3: Yeah, you know, the the word sarcasm means to tear flesh and the person yeah, who is using the sarcasm doing. does not mm-hmm. know that they're tearing their own flesh and that that's where their pain comes from. Yeah. They think the pain comes from, quote-unquote, what they think of as the other side. But their pain comes mm-hmm. from the literally... I was actually... Uh, there's a person here that I do uh, process work in exchange for massages. And today I was left on the table for a few minutes by myself and I played a piece of music that I really, really tapped into from uh, from uh, AGT, and I noticed as I was laying face down on the table with my face in a face cradle, and I was kind of singing along with it. And I've never felt so deeply before how the the resonance of my voice moves through literally yeah. my whole viscera, my chest, yeah. my heart, my lungs, my liver. Mm-hmm. My, my I I I never really felt that before. Today, laying face down and just kind of, you know, I was alone in the room and just singing along with this piece of really powerful, beautiful music and uh, and realizing, you know, the the cymatic effect, the effect that our own voice has in instilling mm-hmm. frequencies into tissue and literally mm-hmm. changing the state of the organized tissue. So Absolutely.
0: it was, you know,
3: It is powerful in in starting to look at and pay attention to the impact of our own words on our own physiology and chemistry.
0: Mm. It's like really important stuff. Mm -hmm.
3: So I'm with you, young lady. We'll keep holding a space until the game is shifted into a, a place where it's safe for all trauma to be processed I was—I actually uh, was processing with someone recently who had gone to visit some friends in a kind of an, an outlying area of the country, you know, kind of backwoods area of the country, and they were talking about, you know, they were fairly, they were a city person and fairly up-to-date, you know, sort of doing their work, and, but the way they describe going into this backwoods community and you know how this uncle and that aunt and this cousin and and i mean it was literally like they were describing going into the movie deliverance yeah they had just you know had a weekend visit with someone and uh, a, a back literally in a backwoods community but it was like it was like they'd gone to deliverance for the weekend and you know to realize that that vibration. I mean, they were talking about the the intensity of the abuse in the family systems and the the put downs and the rage and the the the, the parental abuse that the children passed on to the children. And I mean, it was just like whoa! I, I almost forgotten that exists. And you mean the family penetra- was
0: talking about among themselves about their lives being like that yes. or actually in that bad shape?
1: Wow. Yeah,
3: yeah. She was visiting with with family members that she didn't have much contact with, hadn't seen in some time cousins mm-hmm. and such, yeah. and she was shocked at yeah. how it's still, you know, the way that, you know, Uncle Harry used to beat up Aunt Mary. Yeah. And how the kids are, you know, doing the same thing now, a generation or two Mm -hmm. later. And it was kind of shocking for her. And, you know, we talked about, so isn't it awesome that you were able to go in, this woman's been doing work now for several years, that you were able to go in and speak healing into that Mm -hmm. and be the leavening that helps that to shift and change. You know, uh, I I can remember over the years thinking uh, how... Impactful it was for this physicist Yeshua to give us the idea of critical mass that when he said a little leavening leavens the whole loaf, and That's how amazing. for me, years ago, when I looked at you know how much violence there is in the world, how much rage and hatred and vengeance it would, like would have been easy to just give up, but Yeshua mm-hmm. gave me like a a hook to hang on hope, yeah. and that was. We don't have to get to every violent, vicious mind. All we need to do Mm -hmm. is get enough people through the gate who literally will actually incarnate in their own physiology as active present love and be able to maintain the presence of love or the awareness of themselves as the presence of love as they move through their lives. It's only going to take a small number of people critical mass, a little leavening mm-hmm. to change the whole game. And to me, that's mm-hmm. the hope of it. And this woman had, was kind of in a, a sort of a, a down place about how tragic some of the stories were she was being told. Then when she realized that she was able to speak healing and it was accepted, she was able to speak mm-hmm. of love in those contexts, how powerful an influence she had and that she was elevating, oh, and that her, her work was worthy uh, and, mm-hmm. and was able to bring a new energy into that community.
0: That's so good. It
3: is. We're blessed. Well, any other thoughts for you today, young lady?
0: Yes and no. Go ahead, Michael.
3: You've got No, you go ahead. What, what do you got going on?
0: Well, um, this seems very frivolous in a way, but two days ago, my favorite cat was in terrible pain and could hardly walk and kept talking to me and trying to get comfortable. I got hold of the vet. turned out it was a surgery problem, but they did have one surgeon there who had just had two cancellations in a row and could take him. Well, it was a urinary urinary tract blockage, which can be fatal in a male cat. And he's already been on special food for that. But she put him right Mm. under, cleaned him out, fixed him up, kept him overnight to make sure the functions were functioning. And, Michael, I feel as if I was hit by a truck. I couldn't get warm. I, I wasn't anxious that I realized in any way that I've been anxious, I was just exhausted and had to climb in bed just to rally whatever bodily heat was available around. Even drinking something hot didn't do anything. And I was just surprised at how um, unsturdy I am, you know. So that was one thing, and if you had a comment on that, I'd love to know it, but I was just shocked at how, how, what a reaction I had.
3: Right. Well, if I, I look at it in context of what you were saying about the cat the other day and your fear of losing it, yeah. my, my offering would be you went into sympathetic dominance, into that mm-hmm. fear, flight, fright mode. And when, and when that happens, basically, blood flow is extracted you know, primarily from the upper part of the body. except for the arms
0: mm-hmm.
3: and the lungs, mm-hmm. blood flow is extracted from the brain. It's extracted from the, the liver. It's extracted from the, uh, uh, the digestive system, the eliminative system, the internal organs. The blood flow is drained to go into, you know, even though, of course, you weren't going to get up and run or fight somebody, but your body doesn't know that when your mind goes into that sympathetic dominant state. And, yes, cold is going to be... That's going to be part of the healing process, part of the mm. the, uh, the state that you went into. And that would be a good oh, place to recognize where you're at and, and mm. shift your mind out of the fear-based thoughts back into love-based thoughts so that you can restore that parasympathetic system and get blood flow back to the rest of your body because that, that can be pretty chilling.
0: Yeah. Well, I was functional. I said, Tim, um, I had to cancel going to the refugees and get that cat over there. And so I drove the cat. And, you know, I did. So I wasn't in complete paralysis. I did the right. right thing right away. But you're right, though. It must have been a lot of that. Anyway, I spoke to my son about that because he's in crisis situations constantly as a surgeon at the right. hospital. And he comes home at night completely wiped out too many times. He's talking about retiring at age 51, which is very early. But he said, I don't know if I'm going to live doing this kind of stressful. And, of course, that means he needs to do some work because he doesn't have to react that way. But I said, do you get cold? And he said, I come home shiveringly cold sometimes and have to get into bed to warm up. So, you know, I was amazed to hear and, and horrified to hear that he faces this kind of crisis just about every day. Yesterday he right. was there till about 10 o'clock. Emergency after emergency after emergency, scrubbing in when the scrubbers are gone and the nurses are complaining and the, the instruments aren't cleaned up and he has to be the chief cook and bottle washer and do the surgery.
3: I'm telling right. you. Well, my offering would be uh, a strong invitation for him to deal with being able to shift out of sympathetic dominance and bring Mm -hmm. himself to the crisis as the presence of love in parasympathetic mode. Then his Mm -hmm. physiology will function properly in that circumstance rather than dysfunction because the fear-based mind has taken over and totally altered the flow of energy in the system.
0: Yeah. Well, I've been working on him on that. That's only so much a mother can get through with. I know that's what he needs to do. Yeah.
3: Let me me send you the uh, presentation that I did on sympathetic parasympathetic dominance for the folks at the the medical people at Abison, and uh, oh. that might speak to him in in recognizing that that's what he's doing to himself or that's what he's allowing to be resonated, and that he can mm-hmm. shift it I mean he can walk into yeah. the uh, into the surgery room as total angelic energy in the presence of love, probably be far more effective in in his surgery and impact energetically the patient on the table for better outcomes in that regard as well and leave himself totally in a, agree. a, an, um, upstead, or a me, an upstage place rather than mm-hmm. downstage.
0: Well, he manages, when he is about to operate, he says a prayer and looks at his hands and asks for God to guide his hands. I've told you that before.
3: Nice. And he's yeah.
0: very, very, very good. It's like he's he's total he says, When I'm actually doing it, I'm completely calm. But then the other stuff kicks in before and after. So you're right. Miraculously he can get himself there when it's crucial for the patient. Get centered. But it's crucial yeah. all around. Yeah.
3: And so, but, and hey. what's it costing his physiology to be on like that? And if he can I know. Do the work, you know, remember, whether you're in sympathetic or parasympathetic dominance has to do with the mind, not the body.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: The body yeah. is the playground for which state you're in, but it's all controlled and right. done by the mind.
0: Totally, I know, that's true.
3: So all the space that he has the ears to listen and, Thank you. and is able to move upward another notch.
0: That would be great. You In know, his Michael, service you to humanity.
3: You,
0: you said you were going to send me a couple of links to um, something the other day, and they never came through, so beware. I don't know what's wrong with the system. Um, but they Okay, do.
3: I'll call you after the show, and we'll work it out.
0: Okay, great. Thank you, but cool. carry on. Thanks for listening to that.
3: All right, blessings. Take care. All right. Well, Miss Jeannie, do we have anybody else in the phone key with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room?
1: No, it's all quiet. Well,
3: great. Well, then let's step back into the conversation we were having with Yeshua about... uh, the instruction set that he gave for incarnating as the active presence of love so the and if you remember the disciples who obviously must have been confused or didn't understand they asked for a set of instructions for how to achieve achieve a result called prayer. So get that mindset. In the Aramaic language, the disciples asked for instructions on an achievable result called prayer. The Greeks totally changed the meaning of the word prayer Remember Vladimir Lenin, responsible for more deaths on planet Earth than anybody in history. He says the way you destroy a culture is change the meaning of its words. So the word prayer in Aramaic, again to review, means to set a trap for God, which sounds strange until you recognize that the the Aramaic language is a physics language. They understood the physics of the world that we live in—an energy system—and when you translate that, you know, set a trap for God into I have an antenna on my roof that is a trap for channel two, and when it's oriented properly and aligned properly, I get a perfect picture and sound. So how do I set my trap for channel two properly? You might remember, some of you might remember, when we actually did have antennas on the roof, and you had a little box over in the corner that you went over, and you turned it, and the antenna rotated. And, you know, I can remember we were, uh, I was born and raised in an area where we had Channel 2, Channel 4, and Channel 7 coming out of Buffalo, New York. And I can remember that in order to watch Channel 2, we had to go over and hit the antenna and turn it in one direction. But if we then turned to Channel 4, Channel 4 was garbage. We had to turn the antenna uh, uh, motor and reorient the antenna. And then Channel 4 came in clearly, but Channel 2 was gone. That's a trap. That captures a signal. My offering is that our physiology, this physical device that we call a body-mind unit and its bony structure is an antenna. It is a trap to capture and reflect into the world that energy in which we live, move, and have our being. And that energy is love. Prayer means to set a trap, to capture and reflect love into the world. The disciples didn't know how to do that, so they said, teach us to do that. And what did the Greeks do? <laughs> the man said, don't repeat and repeat like the pagans, and what happens? Just about every Sunday, what do 32,000 sects of so-called Christianity do? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth. As though it were a, a an order that they're putting into the cosmic gift catalog. And it's ludicrous when it's seen from the Aramaic perspective. So we went through that last yesterday and I'm going to go ahead and just run through it again as a foundation for where we're going. So here are Yeshua's Aramaic Constructions or a, a, an interpretation for us today based on the Aramaic Constructions for how to orient your antenna properly. Starts out with a salutation to the Creator. O oh, Eternal Creator, parent to us all, who is in the realms of the unmanifest, unmanif- teach us to honor, emulate, and serve you. That your counsel, your wisdom and your love come alive in us. How does that happen? You've got to set the trap properly. You've got to align yourself properly. Attune us to and empower us to conceive of and understand the will which you have already created for us. In other words, I want to tune to channel two, teach me how to orient myself so that I capture that which you've already set up, and I bring that into and I reflect it into the world and teach it so that we may give birth to its fruit. And then there's appreciation, that you renew. This is part of aligning yourself properly, that you renew and feed us daily with the presence of your love and the love of each other. And the food that we receive is a gift we gratefully accept. So gratitude is part of the alignment. Appreciation for what we've been given is part of the alignment. People who've got something to whine and complain about every time they turn around can't do this alignment process. Appreciation. Thank you for restoring us to abundance, teaching us to give as you give, And presence love as you are the presence of love for both the just and the unjust. That you forgive from us, that is, remove from us those realities we've engaged in that do us harm and do not belong in our humanness is another of your blessings we appreciate. So recognize that only the Creator can forgive. Scriptures make that very plain. Only the creator knows how to move the energy that is held in you, that blocks you, that does not belong in you. But you've got a part to play in that. You have free will. If there's something you've decided based in some form of hostility or fear that you really want to keep, that you want to hold on to, that you think is valuable and useful to you, you can say, oh, God, take this from me, take this from me, till the cows come home, but your free will will never be violated. But, and the forgiveness the reality management worksheet, the forgiveness process is how you give permission to the Creator to remove those energetic patterns, so that you forgive from us those realities we 've engaged in that do us harm and do not belong in our humanness is another of your blessings we appreciate, so that energy is part of what blocks us in our ability to capture that energy of hostility or fear that we have somehow. Misunderstood and valued, the willingness to have it removed and the appreciation that that's even possible is a key part, according to this set of instructions. We commit to responsibility and forgiving as to those painful realities others trigger in us. And I'm going to... So this would be taking responsibility and doing our part for the removal of those painful realities that we realize are in us and that others give us the gift of showing to us. When we're tempted to follow harmony with your love, that you are here with us, being the space of love, that your love is always present no matter how far we fall, no matter where we go, is a blessing we gratefully accept. That with your grace, you deliver us from our errors and through your light, part us from darkness. is another blessing that flows from your divine presence. So, we don't need to be asking the Creator not to lead us into temptation. I mean, that's just such a ridiculous, asinine translation. To pretend it's a translation of Yeshua's words. So the Creator's going to lead us into temptation. Come on. In fact, it's clearly stated, let no one speak that the Creator leads them into temptation. And yet, many people have been taught to repeat and recite these words over and over and over again babbling. We receive each of these gifts with gratitude, appreciation, and praise, sealed in trust, faith, and truth. Amen. Amen. So that would be the instruction set that Yeshua gives. When they said, We're confused about this thing called prayer. We know it's not putting order into the cosmic gift catalog. Teach us to pray. That's what he gave us. Now, you remember in an earlier occasion, we talked about how he said, you must take up your cross and recognize that your cross is whatever you hold in you that prevents you from living in the space this prayer describes, living that first law. making a note. So what is it that inhibits you from doing that? What keeps you from literally, as spoken above, bringing your light into the darkness over and over and over again, no matter what's happening in your world? What inhibits you from doing that? That's your forgiveness work. What is the first law? The first law is rachma, the law that keeps love present in your mind, that that allows the entryway of your true created essence into your physiological form. What is it that takes you out of that love? What realities do you hold that when resonated break your experience of the presence of love in you? To bear your cross does not mean to suffer through it, but rather to take responsibility for and forgive. Do your part in the forgiveness process. Whatever is in you, that removes you from love. My words will guide you where I intended to take you, but first, you have to listen to my meanings. I said 2,000 years ago, I have many, I have yet many things to say to you but you cannot bear them now, how be it when he, the Spirit of Truth, has come, and actually in Aramaic it's feminine, so it would be she, the Spirit of Truth has come, she will guide you in all truth. Remember Rokhudakudshah is that feminine elemental force that undoes the effects of our errors and teaches us the truth. And then Yeshua says, I came to connect you with that spirit of truth in you, not some outer authority. There's so many issues to be cleared up, and I wish we could address them all at once. Let's look first at the teaching method used by so many of my followers, or so-called followers, you will notice how unlike my method of teaching this fear, terror, and pounding is. In fact, in the framework of my culture, I treated fear as a demon to be cast out. Recall John the Beloved reflected well my teaching on fear when he said, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. And yet, when I spoke to this woman who I just shared had spent the weekend with some distant cousins in backwoods part of the country, fear. It was actually interesting because what she offered was that the one person who really was the space of love like one of the most dramatically present spaces of love was actually the fundamental baptist preacher that he had the, whole, the like he had that presence of love in him and she was shocked because it was not what she was used to in her baptist upbringing which was all hellfire and brimstone but the one man in the community that was really that space and understood There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because love, fear, hath torment. So if I have hostility or fear, I block the presence of that which perfects us. I live in a state of block to truth where the energy of actuality is not allowed to directly enter my form. And if I were to open the barrier, the veil of my temple, then that energy of truth would come in and perfect me, literally process me on an energetic level, undo, dissolve, create a transmutation. Remember we talked about the sun being the transmuting energy for the plant that produces chlorophyll. Being able to be in that presence of active love is what perfects us, unless I'm so skewed by hostility and fear that there's no room for that. Those who teach from fear have not met me, desperate need of the protocol I laid out. Well, my reply to him is, well, I, I, I was told to fear God. That was a scriptural idea pounded into me. Yeshua throws his hands up. So much misunderstanding. So many misinterpretations to be dealt with. Fear of God is not a scriptural idea. That idea comes from the fierce and heathen images of their gods and the horrific aspects of the Greek pantheon that are presented as my teaching about the Creator. Recall the greatest commandment in the law is rachma for the Creator. In the Greek renderings, with a command to fear God appears, the Aramaic word means have awe, not fear. The Creator is not an angry father figure. That was an hallucination introduced by human minds that had an unresolved issues with their fathers. Look around at how many men today, and I'm talking about me too, because that all started there for me as well. Issues with fathers. So is it surprising all these raging, angry men who became preachers and stood up there raging in the name of God had taken on the raging energy of their power person? I thought, as written by John, the creator is love. Listen again to 1 John 4. There is no fear in love because fear hath torment. if you want to if if you've got still unresolved power person dynamics in you go and see or, or rent the movie you can find it on Amazon i can only imagine very powerful story of a healing between a father and a son and it's a true story and what you'll notice you know the 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 overall theme implies that when this young man broke away from his father and went to church, that's when he healed. But actually, it wasn't until he came back home and experienced the love of his own father who had started to do his work that he healed. He'd been through all the churches and, you know, he was a, a famous musician. The song I can only imagine. But when you watch, his healing happens father starts to hear about doing inner work, starts to do his own, and he goes back home and he's still in the same pain until his father brings light, brings love to the presence of their relationship. So if that's still an issue for you, it's a powerful film to just take some worksheets and sit and breathe through it. Fear and love cannot be active in the mind at the same time. Just not possible. They are absolutely incompatible frequencies with each other. And that would be just like, you know, I shared with you how I can remember as a kid we used to, I remember we had a golden brown box with this dial on it, and we could dial the direction of the antenna, and when you tuned in channel 4, 2 was gone. When you tuned in channel 2, 4 was gone. When your mind, when rock is set and love is present, Fear and hostility can't be active in that mind, and vice versa. The activity, there are three filters, rachma, fear, hostility, over the frontal lobes of the brain, three filters over the back of brain, kuba, fear, hostility. Only one of those can govern the system at a time. Whichever one governs excludes the energy of the other two. The instruction when they ask Yeshua what's most important in the law to have rachma, he was saying, that's number one. That's cause. And so, so that's a practice to enter into. So again, fear and love cannot be active in the mind at the same time. They're absolutely incompatible with each other. Each is a filter, and only one of those filters can be active at any time. And each one filters out the evidence seen by the other. The evidence shown by a mind when love is active cannot be seen. When fear or hostility is active what fear looks upon cannot even be seen by love and what love comprehends is invisible to fear the mind cannot serve two masters you've been taught to me to look for me pardon me you've been taught to look for me where i do not dwell You've been taught to look for me in fear-based Greek philosophy, masquerading as religion, which cannot even comprehend, let alone speak of, my true teachings. A mere shadow of my real work shows up in the Greek renderings of my teachings. In my native language, I brought a body of work to be done, not a belief system to be believed in. There are those who would teach you that you're powerless and able to affect changes in your own life and that everything claims on my shoulders and that I will do it, everything for you. Have you checked with me to see if that's what I said on that subject? My director said, ye are my friends if ye do whatever I command you. Do you think I said that for nothing? I'm in for you to be responsible for your process, not me. There are those who say they represent me, sound like they represent me, and teach you to believe that that you are a worthless sinner. If you bought into that, you probably feel helpless about doing anything about your own life. Once again, in Timothy, my teaching on what you're capable of and who you are is perfectly clear perfectly represented in the words. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I said, Verily I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, he shall do also, greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And you too must learn to go unto your Father, your Source the presence of love in you. To believe on me is an Aramaic idiom I used that meant to be living, to follow the method I gave for living your life. It is a method that will place you squarely in quote the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. You've raised at least six major issues in our short time together. And the way these issues are intertwined muddies the waters of the mind. Before we address these issues, let's look at who I am and gain some insight into why understanding the meaning of my words in their original Aramaic context is not just important, but urgent. So I'm going to say thank you all for joining us. We're down to the last minute or so. Delighted that you're here. Please get a link to this when it's finished. If it's made sense to you, listen to it again. Pass it on to someone and have the best year yet of your eternal life. Blessings. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.